This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain... Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast and the second episode in our new series on indoor training. My name is George Scott, Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and I'm once again joined by Simon Bromley, Senior Technical Writer and our all-round indoor training fanatic. Simon, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Hi, George. So this is the second episode, as I said, in our indoor training series. Last time we covered our indoor training tips and uh, setup tips and some of our hacks. Also discussed Simon's personal setup at home. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend that you do so. But today we're going to talk more specifically about smart trainers and how to choose the best smart trainer for you. So Simon is definitely the man to talk to here. He's someone who's tested uh, numerous smart trainers for Bike Radar over the recent uh, weeks and months. And over the last couple of years has tested some of the key models available out there to you riders. So uh, we'll get into uh, budget, how much you should spend, what you get for your money, some of the key features to look out for when buying a smart trainer. Um, but then also some of the specific options at each price point, whether that's on a tight budget, mid-range, or at the very top end of the market. So I think to kick us off, Simon, let's start with the basics before we move on. What is a smart trainer? So a smart trainer is like a normal kind of indoor turbo trainer, which is something that you know fixes your bike in place indoors and allows you to basically ride indoors without going anywhere, which is obviously helpful if you don't have a velodrome in your house. And a smart trainer has a resistance unit that is capable of controlling the resistance that you feel at the rear wheel in response to a bike computer or an indoor cycling app. And essentially, this variable resistance allows it to simulate courses and provide an immersive indoor riding experience. And part of that indoor riding experience with apps is typically power measurement as well. And so obviously, if you're using uh doing an interval based workout or doing a virtual 
bike ride in some sort of you know virtual world then that is typically driven by your power output so a smart trainer also measures your power output so yeah i think to kind of delve in a bit deeper there this podcast series is kindly sponsored by wahoo and and wahoo system the, the new training app so if a rider was using a training app like wahoo system for an interval session for example a smart trainer could automatically adjust the resistance according to the specific intervals within that session is that right yeah that's right so using your kind of power zones which you would typically set having done a fitness test of some kind it can then if you're you're using a kind of erg mode setting which is where it controls the resistance according to the kind of structure of the interval it can change the resistance you feel so that you don't have to kind of like you know click through your gears and use your front shifting to kind of increase the, the pedaling resistance that way. So it's just kind of more convenient way to do an interval training session. And then, yeah, if you're not doing an interval-based workout, but you're using an app which has a virtual world, then it, it would you would typically run it in what's known as sim mode or simulation mode, which is where it just kind of simulates the virtual course gradient and you kind of get this experience of riding around the virtual world as if it were real. Mm. Um, as I said, we we kind of talked through some of our smart trainer tips and how to get the most out of a smart trainer in the first episode, including some of the benefits, but also the, the pitfalls of, of erg mode, which is that automatic um, or variable resistance. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about smart trainers and how to choose the best smart trainer for people who are perhaps looking to invest in the smart trainer for the first time. Uh, they're not particularly cheap uh, pieces of kit, even if there are kind of more affordable options than ever. Um, and some of the things to look out for if, as I say, you are looking to buy one for the first time, or perhaps you're looking to upgrade what you're currently using as a turbo trainer. So I think to kind of start with with budget, most people have a fairly well-established budget when they're looking to buy a new product. Broadly speaking, what's the kind of range of pricing available if you're looking for a smart trainer? So in broad terms, the budget starts at around £250. I have occasionally seen smart trainers on sale for less than that never seen anything less than 200 pounds brand new but in terms of the, the price ceiling you're looking at over a thousand pounds i think the most expensive smart trainer that we've tested is about 1200 pounds and then if you would like a dedicated smart bike <laughs> you could spend three times that amount so i think you know the kind of the amount the limit you could spend is limitless <laughs> as, as often with these things but yeah it starts around 250 pounds mm. and yeah i mean you are right in terms of uh, you can spend a lot of money on a smart trainer, but then there's also other things that you need to add into the mix or can add into the mix all the way through to Apple TV and, uh, you know, kind of dedicated indoor training pain caves for want of a, a better phrase. Um, but, you know, just kind of talking about budget, can you talk a bit more around kind of wheel on versus direct drive trainers? Because that's one of the key things that changes as you kind of move through the price points, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think those are the two main options for most people. Of course, there are other options like smart rollers and some people sell kind of like, you know, rolling roads and, and, and these sort of things. But the main thing that most people will be choosing between is a wheel on trainer and a direct drive trainer. So a wheel on trainer is like a traditional turbo trainer where you clamp your bike into the kind of frame of the turbo trainer and your rear wheel sits on the roller which is connected to the resistance unit a direct drive trainer you remove the the rear wheel and mount your bike directly onto a cassette on the trainer and it directly and so your pedaling directly drives the smart trainer if that makes sense um the difference is i can't aside from price direct drive trainers tend to be more expensive than wheel on trainers 
but the differences are kind of in terms of ride feel, power accuracy, uh, noise levels, and all of these things tend to be better on direct drive trailers. Mm. And you know, price is price is clearly important. We'll come on to what you do get for your money at various price points, but. I think one of the key points that came out of your recent reviews of some of the the, the key trainers on the market is that sometimes there are uh, extras that you need to add into the mix that aren't even optional. For example, with a direct tr- drive trainer, sometimes uh, a cassette will be provided with the trainer, but sometimes you might have to uh, buy one separately. Or uh, if you're running a drivetrain that perhaps isn't compatible with the cassette that's provided, again, that's going to be an additional cost. Yeah, that's right. And like a cassette is is essential for a direct drive smart trainer and even at the very top end they don't always come and actually more often than not they don't always come with with a smart trainer so obviously you know if you've already got a bike with a cassette you should be able to take that cassette off your bike and and use it but you know you're not realistically you're not going to want to have to swap the cassette over from your from your smart trainer back onto your bike every single time that that's just incredibly inconvenient so you know you don't, you know, if you if you're running Campagnolo Super Record, as you said, you might need to also purchase a separate free hub. But I would say you don't need to purchase a Super Record cassette for your Direct Drive Smart Trainer. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to make I was going to make that point. You know, <laughs> set, settle for I don't know, chorus, chorus or one hundred and five. Yeah. you know, yeah, it, it doesn't. It, it, what you want is something kind of. It doesn't need to. You know, weight is not a factor for indoor hill climbs. So you, you can choose the heaviest cassette, and you just want something like cheap durable whatever you can get i mean something that i hadn't um kind of planned to talk about today but that's just kind of cropped in in my mind i mean is there something to consider around uh kind of drivetrain where if your chain is at a certain age and a new cassette is being added to the to the smart trainer yeah totally Uh, i mean obviously if you haven't checked your chain wear in a while and you buy a brand new cassette for your smart trainer you definitely want to check the chain wear before you start using it because if your chain is worn out it will very quickly chew through that brand new cassette. And in an age where bike parts are more expensive and rarer than ever, you know, that that's, that's just not something you want to do. So yes, keep on top of your drivetrain cleaning, replace that chain with a lovely, fresh, well-lubricated chain. And yeah, that in, you know, obviously there's no, there shouldn't, there shouldn't really be too much dirt indoors. So if you can keep that cassette on, on your smart trainer clean, it should last years. Mm. And as as someone who has the complete opposite approach to bike cleaning <laughs> to you, and and very rarely cleans bikes or lubricates chains, uh, I, even I can keep the cassette clean on a smart trainer. Yeah. Um, so before we kind of talk about uh, some of the features to look out for, I think you know as is the case with any product, full stop. But you know, particularly in bikes, there is a point where you spend more money, and it's a case of diminishing returns. So. Kind of broadly speaking, in terms of your experience, both as a as a rider, but more, more recently as a tester, um, some of the features that we're going to talk about are they all strictly necessary? No, definitely not. And and I would be very careful of kind of thinking that you need a trainer with the highest maximum power or the highest maximum gradient because you know it, it's all very well this trainer saying oh it can offer two and a half thousand watts of resistance, but like you know. I can barely tickle a thousand watts these days. And I think most people I know, most amateurs probably can't get over 1500 watts. So you just don't need it. And and it's the same thing with maximum gradients. Like it's nice to have, but even the most basic smart trainers, which have a maximum gradient simulation of around 6% can still provide a fairly immersive indoor cycling experience. You know, some apps 
actually have the kind of default trainer difficulty set at 50% of the kind of, you know, what it would be in the real world. So if it says 10% on screen, you're actually only experiencing a 5% gradient at the rear wheel. And, and they do this just because it, otherwise you'd have to change gear too often. Or if you hit a 24% climb in the game and it simulated that at the rear wheel, unless you've got gears that are set up to allow you to ride up a 24% climb, you're going to grind to a halt on the indoor trainer. So, you know, unless you really want to, you know, unless you're a really powerful sprinter or you desperately want to kind of accurately simulate a real world climb. So, you know, you're going to go climb the Mortarolo or something. And, and But even that, I mean, that doesn't go, that's not 20% climb. Does I say that the Angleru in Spain, if you desperately want to simulate a real climb accurately and it has massive gradients, then sure, you know, you go out and get a smart trainer that can do that for you. But otherwise, it, it's not as important as you might think. Mm. Um, so, you know, let's talk about some of the, the key features to look out for. And, you know, there are there are lots to consider, but we've highlighted seven to talk about today. And that is the maximum power output of the trainer or capability of the trainer, the maximum gradient it can simulate, power accuracy, uh, the flywheel itself. So what drives the trainer, noise, stability, and then weight which leads on to storage how easy is it to to store so i think let's let's start with maximum power which you talked about already but what does that mean when you're talking about the maximum power of a smart trainer so the maximum power is basically the amount of resistance that the trainer can offer you and the maximum power maximum gradient are kind of linked as you might imagine if it can provide more resistance and it can also clamp on the resistance to simulate a a steeper climb but essentially on a cheaper trainer which can't provide that much resistance they might have a maximum power ceiling of say 600 watts or so on for example that's on the elite novo smart now if you try and go over 600 watts on it it it, it simply can't provide any more resistance so that you're you will just essentially just spin out on the turbo trainer now 600 watts is probably a figure that most of us can hit so if you wanted to do sprint training than the elite novo smart for example which is a very cheap smart trainer it's only sort of 250 pounds or so at rrp um but that perhaps wouldn't be an appropriate trainer for that but most most direct drive trainers above the kind of 500 pound mark will typically do at least 1300 if not more watts and so for most people that would be plenty mm. and i think you know with a, with a budget trainer like the the elite one you mentioned and you know as with any purchasing decision, it's about thinking about, you know, what are you going to use the trainer for? So if you're someone that's more interested in kind of steady state intervals or FTP intervals, being able to sprint out of the saddle full gas doesn't really matter. Maybe that's best saved for the road anyway, or, or you know, uh, kind of training out on the road. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a case of kind of weighing up exactly what you want versus the budget you have available. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, and as you say, like, if, if you if you're a time, if you're into time trials or something like that, or hill climbs, you know, 600 watts is is still a de- you know. I don't know many people who can do 600 watts for five minutes. So if if it's it's only it would be only sprints that you would maybe not be able to do on that turbo trainer. And like I said, you could just go do those outside. <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> so maximum gradient. We, we we've kind of talked about that in terms of the uh, maximum gradient that the trainer can simulate. Um, but what? kind of figure might you be looking at um for a budget trainer versus a top end one so a budget trainer the tax flow smart and the elite novo smart they both top out at six percent and that's the kind of minimum you would expect but like i said like in practice for me like when i've tested it that's been plenty to provide a kind of 
generally immersive indoor cycling experience and it hasn't felt particularly limiting some of the more expensive trainers will offer over 20 percent gradient simulation which is bonkers i don't know anyone who really wants to ride 20 percent gradients indoors but if you are one of those people like i said if you really want to train you know like i said if you're into hill climbs and you want to train for the kind of specific hill that the nationals are going to be on or you know whatever your goal event is and you really accurately want to simulate what it feels like to ride on that hill then it could be a useful feature but in general it's not something that i would look to as a kind of guiding principle and if you do have the uh gradient simulation at the kind of preset 50 percent, then effectively you're looking for a 40 percent climb yeah yeah you exactly if you had a hill if you to max out a <laughs> to max out a trainer in zwift for example you would need if if it had a 20% maximum gradient, you'd need a 40% in-game gradient, and that doesn't exist. No. Um, good stuff. Well, you know, power accuracy or the ability to measure power is definitely a key feature of, of a smart trainer and really useful for, for structured training uh, if you are using a training app. So, uh, I mean, firstly, how does a smart trainer measure power compared to an on-bike uh, power meter? Um, and what kind of figures are you looking for in terms of uh, uh, a budget trainer versus top end? So smart trainers just they measure torque uh, either in the kind of drive area or a direct drive or to do with if it's a wheel on trainer they will kind of measure the fl- measure the speed of the roller and and against a known power curve so if the roller is moving a certain speed they then the trainer assumes you must be putting out this much power to generate that much resistance so as you can imagine with a wheel on trainer it's slightly harder to do that and so they tend to have uh, a wider accuracy kind of uh range and then most of them will say sort of plus or minus five percent and in, in my testing that's generally true when you're just kind of right riding along when you when you go higher power it, it's more like plus or minus ten percent and it can also be affected by how tight the roller is against your wheel and your tire pressure so you have to kind of there's a bit more fiddling to get those things in the kind of optimum range and that's why you know those trainers are cheaper because <laughs> they're a little bit more involved with direct drive trainers because you're getting rid of that kind of wheel tire roller interface the power accuracy tends to be a bit better and again it's a kind of case of diminishing returns that as, as things get more expensive the power accuracy tends also to get better and what you kind of really want for with a smart trainer is a kind of consistent power measurement first off because that allows you to do obviously you know training and set yourself a benchmark and then you know see if you're making improvements but if you're racing then a power an accurate power meter can be very important because you know i I tested the elite zumo recently and that uh under reported power compared to an on-bike power meter by about five percent now the spec is plus or minus three percent on that so accounting for kind of drivetrain losses and maybe the you know the power meters I was using were you know potentially overreading by one or percent or two percent at the time as well because you know that's their kind of accuracy range. But losing five percent of your sprint is quite a lot in a Zwift race, or of your FTP is quite a lot in uh, you know any kind of virtual cycling race. So if you really want to be a, a, a serious esports racer, then power accuracy might be of, of big important big importance, but you know, there are ways around this as well. If you have an on-bike power meter, for example, then you don't necessarily need to worry about your smart trainer power accuracy because you could just use your on-bike power meter. So you could use your, in an app, you can change the setting to read the power 
off the unbiked power meter and effectively overwrite the smart trainer. Yeah, that's right. And then that, you know, the benefit of that as well is that it allows you to be using the same power meter outdoors and indoors, which, you know, gives you another level of consistency in your training and racing. So, but you know, broadly speaking, unless you are kind of chasing absolute kind of accuracy or, um, as you say, a kind of serious esports race. And most trainers are in the right ballpark for consistent structured training. Yeah, all of the trainers that I tested, I had no problems with the kind of power accuracy enabling you to have that kind of immersive indoor training experience. Now, for someone like me who works for, you know, one of the best multidiscipline cycling websites in the world, having an accurate smart trainer is really useful for testing power meters. But most people don't do that kind of thing. So not really worth worrying about <laughs> indeed and yeah great shout out for for bike radar um <laughs> and make sure you check out simon's reviews on the website um we'll cover some of the the kind of specific products he's uh, that he's kind of tested uh, in this podcast but there are lots more reviews to read as well uh, and a roundup of the best smart trainers on the market so do check that out um so just to move on to to, to flywheel which is something that's specific to uh, a direct drive trainer so what is the flywheel and what what kind of part does that play um in a smart trainer so so actually, um, wheel-on smart trainers also have flywheels and they a flywheel is essentially what it says. It's, it is a flywheel that is added to a turbo trainer to put inertia into the system. So as you, as you pedal, you, you put energy into the flywheel. And so when you stop pedaling, it keeps spinning and gives you that feeling of coasting, essentially. And so in the real world, because you have uh, a buildup of energy in in your kind of system from pedaling, uh, potential energy, I suppose, is the term that is proper. Then it, it you know when you start pedaling, you don't just instantly come to a halt. You you keep coasting. You know, obviously, unless you're on a hill. So a bigger flywheel is essentially better, and that's kind of what you need to know in the sense that the cheaper smart trainers tend to have a smaller flywheel, and therefore the ride feel isn't as realistic and a more expensive. A more expensive smart trainer will have typically a bigger flywheel, which offers a better ride feel. Now, the way every single brand does it is slightly different. So, you know, going on kilos, the the weight of the flywheel alone doesn't necessarily tell you absolutely everything, but it is a general guide that as you get more expensive, they'll have bigger, heavier flywheels that provide more inertia and just give a better ride feel. But, you know, ride feel is a is a is a luxury. It's not a necessity for an indoor training experience. You know, it, does, it doesn't necessarily affect the quality of your training, for example. It, it's so, it's a kind of like, it's a really nice feature to have because it does like, you know, the more expensive smart trainers, they do feel amazing. Mm. But, you know, you're not going to get any fitter because you have a, a nicer feeling ride quality. Yeah. And I think ultimately, um, you know, whilst it is a nice to have, you tend to get used to what you have and what you use. Totally. Um, yeah. And if you've never used one of the really expensive smart trainers, which have, you know, the best ride feel in inverted commas, then you won't really know what you're missing out on. And mm. actually like the lower end options, if you're kind of clipping along at a decent speed, you know, they do have a, a decent amount of inertia in the system. They only really start to feel a bit unnatural when you're kind of climbing steep roads, because at that, and when, when that's happening, the flywheel speed is lower. And that's when it's, you start getting that kind of choppy feeling of you're having to spin up the flywheel with every kind of like push on the pedals. and It doesn't mm. quite feel as good, but, you know, it does also replicate real world climbing in a sense because your inertia is lower. So mm. it, it, it's a bit of a much of a muchness. As I said, like 
you know, it's lovely to have, but it, it's not a necessity. No. And ultimately, if you want the ultimate uh, outdoor cycling experience, you should <laughs> go and cycle outdoors. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not to kind of let, you know, smart trainer kind of brands off the hook. You know, they should be, uh, I suppose, striving to provide the best experience for what is a not inconsiderable amount of money. Um, but, you know, you're right. Uh, it is a case of diminishing returns, I think, when it comes to ride ride quality and, and realism. Um I think just on just finally on flywheels, can you just talk a little bit about um, you know what's driving the flywheel? I uh, you know this is beyond the scope of my no- my knowledge, but the tax neo, for example, works slightly different to most, doesn't it? Yeah, so the tax neo has what's called a virtual flywheel, and that's a a different way of doing it to everyone else. Uh, you can have like a, you can literally have a physical flywheel, which is like you know like a big block of metal. It's a weight that you spin up. Uh, but the tax neo uses electromagnets to kind of, you know, simulate a big flywheel. So it's just a, it's a kind of bit of clever technology to get around. And 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 as you said, like you know, a bigger, heavier flywheel also makes the kind of trainer heavier as well. So there's a trade-off in terms of like portability as as well with a heavier flywheel. But um, but yeah most most trainers use a kind of physical flywheel and if you're looking at something like the wahoo kicker you know you can see that when you start pedaling the flywheel starts spinning because you're pedaling it now it also has its kind of electric motor resistance unit as well that can kind of increase the resistance but you are spinning you're putting the energy into that flywheel mm. i mentioned in the first episode the tax neo is what i've got at home and it is a nightmare to move around you know, if if you need to kind of pack it away after every session or on a regular basis, I don't know what it, it weighs as on it's the whole. Over 20 kilos. Over 20 kilos. And for, uh, yeah, a not particularly kind of strong young man, uh, that, is, <laughs> that is a real struggle to to, to lug around. Uh, and you know, also, weirdly, it's got no carry handle. Um and it's very easy to trap your fingers in the uh, in the folding arms. Aside from that, it's a great it's a great trainer and, and genuinely kind of provides a a brilliant uh, ride experience, but not something that's easy to lug around. So heavier isn't always better in terms of the overall kind of user experience, I suppose. Um, and kind of speaking on, on, on kind of user experience, you know, noise is definitely a key factor when it comes to choosing a turbo trainer. And I think some in the past have been notoriously noisy. And you know, you mentioned in the first episode that uh, you've got your family at home, you've got a young baby at home, and you know, for people who do live with family or perhaps in a flat or an apartment where the noise can vibrate to, to the uh, to the people below you, choosing a trainer that isn't going to keep everyone up or disturb someone is a fairly key consideration, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And and again, this this kind of noise is, is fairly tied to price, unfortunately. If you don't have a lot of money to spend, then you're unfortunately going to end up with a trainer that's slightly noisier. Wheel-on trainers tend to be noisier they have they just have like noisier motors because i suppose because they're cheaper uh the wheel contacting the rotor also the tire contacting the roller sorry also uh creates noise and generally i I suppose uh, as they're, they're usually fine at kind of lower wattages but once you start doing anything above kind of 250 to 300 watts the noise levels really start to ramp up. Now, you know, if you're the type of person who, you know, isn't training in those power levels, it, it might actually not really be a problem. And likewise, if you've got a garage separate to the rest of your family, you know, you don't really need to worry about noise too much. And, 
you know, you can do things like get a trainer specific tire and a trainer mat to kind of dampen the vibrations and, and lower the noise. But yeah, you, you kind of have to accept that with a cheaper wheel on trainer, it's it's going to create more noise and the, the pitch of the noise as well. Uh, when you start sprinting, for example, it, it, it is more intrusive, uh, even if like the loud, the loud, the decibel number, you know, nominally is the same as you know something that you think oh that's not too bad but so so that is a bit of a problem as you go up the price range once you start getting to direct drive trainers like for me those those are generally even the mid-range direct drive trainers for me are kind of quiet enough Mm. like i don't need my even with a baby i don't really need my trainer to be silent (laughs) you know a little bit of noise is fine and and i I tend to find that once you get i've I've tend to found once you get to direct drive levels the the kind of noise of your drivetrain typically makes a bit more noise now obviously it depends on how clean your drivetrain is what lubrication you've got on it for example but but yeah as obviously if you go to the really top end like you know the the wahoo kicker and the tax neo 2t are, are, are virtually silent and you really can't hear them and your drivetrain does definitely make more noise so if you if noise is a real real concern for you and you want to keep things as quiet as possible then those are the kind of quietest smart trainers out there but yeah for, for me and and my kind of general testing like i i would have t- I would test most of my things like in a room with carpet on a trainer mat so there's there's a level of dampening there that i'm getting but I suppose if you were training, if you had your bike on a wooden floor <laughs> above someone, then then there's much more for the kind of noise noise to vibrate through. So that I think that's probably worth considering. Mm. It, 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 the rest of your setup is also going to affect the noise levels to a degree. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, you know we, we've kind of spoken about noise a fair bit, but the, but the best way to understand is to obviously listen to uh, a, a smart trainer. Uh, and in in the recent video that we've done, where Simon's rounded up the best ten smart trainers that we've tested at a range of bud a range of budgets, we have focused on noise as a kind of key, kind of criteria or kind of issue there, and kind of recorded um, the trainer so you can hear it. Um, and 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 as Simon says, there's not a huge amount of difference once you kind of get past the very cheapest trainers. And ultimately, it depends, uh, you know, what kind of environment you're you're, you're training in. Um, so you know, to kind of uh, finish off with with features to talk about stability and and weight and storage. Um, most trainers have fold out legs, um, and I think some of the cheaper ones uh, are more difficult to fold away, or perhaps might be fixed in position. But I think it's fair to say the further you move up the price range, the more stable a trainer tends to be. Yeah, and and that typically, as you say, kind of goes hand in hand with the kind of fact that they also get heavier because they have things like bigger flywheels, more powerful motors. Um, and yeah, th- a lot of them just have a bit more ballast, ballast, and there'll be kind of that weight will be, you know, the better ones locate that weight kind of central, close to the floor, that sort of thing. And, it, you know, if you're a big, powerful rider doing, you know, if it, if it has a maximum power capacity of 2000 watts, for example, you know, the people who can hit that are tend to be big strapping cyclists. So it, it does need to be stable enough to not kind of like jump around underneath you when you're doing that. So that that is the kind of important consideration if you are a you know a big powerful rider. Now on the flip side of that is that a heavier, more stable trainer naturally is heavier. So if you ever need to move it, that becomes a problem, right? And and yeah, as, as you kind of already described, like the the Tax Neo 2Ts, it has a very wide footprint. 
It's very, very stable, has a really high maximum power. But then as soon as you need, to, if you ever need to kind of put it away because you don't have a dedicated space to train, like, you know, I mean, I guess I suppose you could see it. Well, it's great training. I get to lift 20 kilos every time <laughs> I set up the trainer. But like for someone like me, who's got kind of got, you know, cyclist arms, it's a real struggle. So for me, something around under 15 kilos is, is, is preferable. Mm. <laughs> I don't need that much. I don't need stability beyond that but it is definitely a thing if you if you want to do you know sprint training and you're a big powerful rider then a kind of heavier more stable trainer it, i do think is a good idea mm. good stuff well i think we've, we've kind of covered stability and weight and and storage in one hit there um i think you know choosing a trainer if you do need to store it on a regular basis that has fold away legs and isn't uh, incredibly heavy is a, is a smart is a smart choice um, so just before we kind of move on to, uh, you know, look at some of the specific price points, is there anything else you need to consider when, uh, looking at the features of a smart trainer? So there are kind of other sort of more maybe miscellaneous, uh, features. And so, you know, the, the tax Neo 2T that you have is a kind of good example of it. It kind of comes with some extra features that you don't get on, uh, most other smart trainers, you know, cause it costs quite a lot of money. One of those is surface simulation. So if you're using a virtual cycling app, which goes over kind of different like gravel roads or cobbled roads, then it can kind of a bit like a, a rumble pack on a Nintendo 64 kind of, <laughs> it's a great reference. <laughs> <laughs> it can kind of simulate the, uh, that, that feeling for you, um, which is a bit odd. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm convinced if that's good or bad, but it's kind of cool. And maybe that's something that other brands will try and replicate in the future. The Tax Neo can also work without needing a power input, which, you know, is quite convenient if you want to take it to race warm-ups. Although I'm, you know, again, I'm not sure I want to lug a 20 kilo trainer to the start of a race. Like what I I just take my old dumb tra trainer and get out of the boot of the car for a Think of your petrol efficiency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um so, but you know, if that is something you're interested in, you know, you want to warm up on Zwift before your race. You know, by all means, you can do that. Uh, some trainers have a kind of, on top of their stability, they they kind of integrate some natural ability to kind of rock side to side, and that the aim with that is so obviously when you're on your bike, your bike doesn't stay perfectly planted underneath you when you're kind of out of the saddle doing a sprint. So they they kind of like try and simulate some sort of natural side to side movement and the wahoo kicker has that the kirk kinetic r1 has that i think you know saris sells a dedicated rocker plate which you can place your trainer and your bike on top of to kind of simulate that movement i'm kind of on the fence with that like i, I don't mind a little bit of uh rocking motion i think it's kind of it you know it does marginally improve the ride quality it makes it feel you know a little less unnatural but you know I don't, you know, I, my, as I said in the previous podcast episode of this series, I ride an Elite Director XR and that doesn't have it and I don't ever really feel like I miss it. So mm. it's that, that's the kind of thing that maybe it's nice to have if you can have it, but otherwise I, I wouldn't specifically go out and replace a smart trainer just to get five degrees of side-to-side -side movement. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we're talking about the very kind of top end of the market yes. there. So I think, you know, let's to, uh, to move on to... Um, some of the specific options you've tested, you know, many of which that you uh, you've mentioned already, uh, at the budget end of the market, so what between perhaps two hundred and fifty pounds or dollars and um, maybe four hundred pounds, uh, you know, typically you're looking at a wheel in, wheel on trainer or, or the vast majority of the time a wheel on trainer, um, and two that you've tested the Taxflow Smart and the Elite Novo Smart, 
Um, I suppose the question is, at that price point, you know, are you getting good value for money or should you save to try and move up to around £500? It's a really, it's a really tricky one, and obviously, I'm. I have to acknowledge that I'm coming at it from a view of, you know, having the privilege of riding some very nice smart trainers. I think if that's all the budget you have, and you know, it's not going to be a possibility for you to splash out five hundred pounds, then you could definitely be happy with uh, one of those. My choice would be the Tax Flow Smart. I think it just has a slightly better spec. It comes with a front wheel riser block. I think the build quality just feels slightly better, but they both offer a kind of similarly immersive experience. They, they're, they're fine. They're absolutely fine. Like there's nothing really terrible about them. I think if you get one and then you really get into smart, smart training and, and indoor riding, you probably will want to upgrade eventually, but likewise, you wouldn't have to, they, they would be absolutely fine. Mm. Then they probably, you know, they're not going to be for your kind of serious esports racers just because they don't have the power accuracy. They don't, you know, if your smart trainer only has 660 watts of resistance or so, which the Elite Novo Smart has, you know, that's not going to win you a sprint in a virtual race, I'm afraid. Uh, so, um, but, you know, for basic indoor smart trainer riding as a kind of entry level option, you know, both both really impressed me. I thought I thought they probably weren't going to be that great, but they actually, they were fine. Mm. And I think, you know, for, you know, whilst it's nice to have nicer things and, you know, there are definitely benefits from stepping up. I think for most people who are perhaps dabbling in structured training or want a smart trainer to beat bad weather or to be able to train for 45 minutes around kind of family commitments, they're, they're good options. And I think ultimately uh, a cheap trainer or a relatively cheap smart trainer is a lot better than an equivalently priced uh dumb trainer from 10 years ago for example oh, totally yeah and 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 like i said i, I was genuinely impressed by how yeah you know, I, I did think going in that the kind of you know the the kind of low specs in terms of you know only being able to simulate gradients of up to six percent would kind of spoil the immersive experience but for me it, it really it really didn't and um yeah i think if that you know, if you've never tried a, a Wahoo kicker, then, you know, it is a case of like, you know, you don't know what you're missing out on. And so you probably won't miss it. Mm. You can't miss what you don't have. So I, I think they, they were, as long as you can put up with the kind of increased noise they have at higher wattages, you know, you don't necessarily need to be, have like amazing power accuracy and then you'll probably be fine with them. Mm. And I think, you know, not always the most stable trains, but as you say, they're not built or specced for sprinting yeah that yes yeah. so obviously because they they have lighter flywheels they have cheaper frames they you know they tend to weigh under 10 kilos which means they're not very stable if you're a big powerful rider riding out the saddle but they're just they're just not aimed at those type of people you know <laughs> but like the tax flow smart has a maximum power ceiling of about 800 watts or so and again like you know, even someone who is ludicrously not as skinny and not a sprinter like me like, i i can do more than that but if if you're a big burly sprinter, yeah, yeah, these aren't these aren't for you. But they're really not aimed at that market. Mm, yeah, I think that that is probably a key point in that, um, you know, they, they will work for most people. But if specifically you do want something that can uh, replicate high gradients and generate a lot of power, then just fundamentally it's not the right trainer. But for most people, they're fine. Um, so yeah, two good recommendations there. Perhaps with the Tax Flow Smart Edge in it from the ones you've tested. Um, so to move on to mid-range options and 
uh, spending around £500, $500, $600, you tend to come to high-end wheel-on trainers and lower-end direct-drive trainers. Um, Some of the options that you've tested are the Elite Zumo, or that we've tested on the bike radar, the Elite Zumo, the Elite Suito, or Suito, I think it's Suito. Suito. Um, The Tax Flux S, the Saris M2, and the Wahoo Kicker Core. Um, But I think, you know, the kind of opening question here is, uh, if you need to choose at that price point between a high-end wheel-on trainer and a lower-end direct-drive trainer, is there one direction you'd tend to to swing? Yeah, personally, I would always opt for the direct-drive trainer if you can, because, like, the step-up in ride quality is 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 tangible and the noise levels go down the kind of level of inertia in the system just goes up so much that that ride quality experience is much better so yeah it it it, it, it that's that's the kind of real step up now once you go beyond those mid-range options the kind of gains in ride quality it is a case of diminishing returns but at around the 500 pound mark when you're going from wheel on to direct drive trainer that's the big step up hmm. and uh you know, when it comes to to kind of power um, generation and, and gradient replication, um, are you kind of in the right ballpark here for most people? Yeah. So around this mark, you're not going to get kind of plus or minus one percent. Typically, you're you're more likely to get plus or minus you know sort of three percent or five percent of your power accuracy. And and generally in my testing, I found that to be to be true. Uh, and I think. I think, like as as I kind of alluded to earlier, I think that's fine for most people. You know, as if as long as it's consistent, and you know, the ones that I've reviewed well on BikeRadar.com did have consistent power measurement. You can definitely use them to kind of do group riding, do interval based workouts, follow a training plan, all of that sort of thing. Like, it's you know, it's not ideal that it's not accurate, a hundred percent accurate all of the time. You know, if you're underestimating the calories burned by 5%, that's 5% more biscuits you could be eating or something, you know, it's like, so it's not, it's never ideal if it's not if it's inaccurate, but in general, most people are unlikely to notice. Mm. And so, uh, you know, what I would say definitely, is, as I said before, if you do want the specific reviews of the trainers, some of the trainers we've mentioned here, definitely check them out on biteradar.com. Also uh, watch the the YouTube video that we've just published, which is a very in-depth roundup of the best trainers and what specifically you can get from each of them but you know at this kind of mid-range price point are there any specific recommendations you can make from the trainers that you've tried so i think the elite zumo was possibly the the cheapest direct drive trainer or one of the cheapest direct drive trainers on the market right now and and that really impressed me like as someone who has the higher end elite direct xr the zumo offers you know a very very similar experience now the power accuracy wasn't as good as on the directo xr it, it typically read about as i said five percent lower than my on-bike power meter so if i was doing a zwift race maybe i would lose five percent of my power and have to work five percent harder therefore to kind of keep up with the rest of the race which wouldn't be ideal however as i said if you're not a serious esports racer that's probably something you can live with because for everything else it's just absolutely fine. And it was, yeah, it offers like a very stable feel. You know, it's got a good amount of inertia in the system. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very quiet. It, it, it kind of connects to all the apps really easily. I didn't really experience any dropouts or anything like that. Like that. It, it just, it was kind of, it's very easy to set up. It was, yeah, just a really good trainer. And I think likewise, you know, we've tested the Wahoo Kicker Core, which is slightly more expensive and the Tax Flux S, like those are really good options as well. So 
those are all impressive options. And the elite, yeah, the elite uh, Suito. And I, I haven't tested that personally, but I, you know, as I say, we've tested it before on BikeRadar.com, and it's it's been reviewed with flying colours. So I think at this this kind of range, there aren't really too many bad options per se. Mm. And I think the Elite Zumo is one of the ones that you've tested most recently. And to to kind of look at some of the specs there, it's a um, 1,350 watt maximum power output, 12% maximum gradient simulation. Um, I think the flywheel is four to five kilograms. Yeah. Um, and that's a 400, I think it's a 450 pound trainer. Um, I think it's possibly up to kind of $700. Um, but as you say, that is one of the cheapest direct drive smart trainers on on the market. And you know, realistically, for most people, do you need more than that? No, totally. Uh, and like when I'm outside, I can hit occasionally a thousand watts on the road, but I've I've never, <laughs> I, I can't remember it's the last time I hit that indoors. It's slightly different when you can't kind of like, you know, yank the bike from side to side. So I tend to find I can't hit, quite hit the same sprint numbers indoors as I can outdoors. And so, you know, as I, as we sort of said, alluded to with the budget options, like if you know that you're an elite track sprinter, then, you know, you might have to shell out for a slightly more powerful smart trainer. But like there just really aren't that many people who do sprint training at that level often enough for it to really be a problem and the same thing with the kind of maximum gradient simulation 13 percent for immersive indoor riding is is plenty you know unless you really 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 want to simulate steeper real world climbs for some you know for some specific reason that's plenty It, it provides a really good immersive indoor cycling experience and and to be honest like it you know the kind of power accuracy thing apart it's really hard to tell a trainer at that price point apart from a more expensive one. Mm. And I think to, to kind of demonstrate the fact that, you know, generally speaking, specs improve or increase as you step up through through the price ranges to look at the Wahoo Kicker Core, which is um, a trainer that we reviewed a couple of years ago, scored very well, four and a half stars out of five. Um, it's 700 pounds as opposed to 450. And so the maximum power increases to 1800 watts, maximum gradient to 16%. Um, the flywheel was heavier at 5.4 kilograms and I think the power accuracy is plus minus 2% um, compared to plus minus 3% certainly on the kicker snap which is Wahoo's cheapest direct, direct drive trainer certainly was I think the kicker snap's a wheel on trainer <laughs> well there you go you step up to a direct drive trainer and um, you know you get, you get slightly better uh, yeah power and, accuracy. and I think the kick you know so if you if you're kind of you know you're thinking well oh, I quite like to get into racing and uh, esports racing that is and but you you know you don't want to shell out for a really top end one the kind of kicker core sits in between that you know 450 500 pound mark of the elite zumo and then the kind of thousand pound mark of the kicker and you know plus or minus two percent you know that's 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 good enough for racing that's that's a similar band as you would get with a kind of on bike power meter you know and 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 so you know you could you could race on that and the you know the kind of things you're losing there compared to the higher end kicker are things like you know the kind of the the, the rocker feet, the, the ability to fold the legs away, the ability to uh, change the height of the flywheel to accommodate different size bikes and stuff like that. So you're losing kind of more quality of life features rather than you know smart features at that mm. point. Yeah, I, I think the the fixed legs are one of the key differences there in terms of the structure or, or the you know how the unit's built, and as we said, all, all just things to consider in terms of where physically you are. Uh, you are training or how much space you have 
So that's good. We covered some of the mid-range options there. So let's kind of get into the the real kind of big ticket, high-end, direct drive trainers. Um, so I suppose between you know seven hundred pounds where we've just left the the Wahoo Kicker Core, all the way up to um, you know comfortably north of a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars. So you know we're looking at the Elite Doretto XR, which tends to be your your trainer of choice at home. The uh, the Wahoo Kicker, the the top end kicker from Wahoo. The Tax Neo 2T, which is one we've referenced a fair bit, and the the, the Saris H3. So, you know, I think it's fair to say, it, you know, when you're spending this money, you are getting a good product. But, um, you know, if you were spending your hard hard earned cash, Simon, um, you know, where would you be? Where would you be placing your money? Are you kind of sticking in the mid range, or are you kind of looking to to, to nudge towards the high end? It's a, it's a it's a really tricky question. I think because I personally have power meters i would probably and because i'm cheap (laughs) i would probably i would probably go for a mid-range one and then if you know and i would connect my power meter to whatever indoor training app i was doing i was using and and go it that way um but if i had the money you know i i can i can definitely see the kind of advantages of the higher end smart trainer and especially if you're racing you know like, like we said earlier the power accuracy thing and we're kind of going on about this but the ones at the higher end will you know will often have a kind of plus or minus one percent uh accuracy accuracy range and so moving from one percent to two percent doesn't sound like much but in a in a swift race you might really want that if you're taking it really really seriously and often these days you know esports racing requires an on-bike power meter and your kind of power meter in the uh, in the trainer to kind of cross compare against each other to check that people aren't cheating. <laughs> so you know, if if you're the type of person who's considering that sort of thing, you know, I'm sure there aren't. Well, I mean, it's really popular and it's only growing in popularity. So maybe there are a lot of people listening who are considering that. Then then that is a reason to buy a more expensive trainer. Um, and you know, it's a bit like buying a Durace group set rather than all almost Hegra group set, right? Like if you want the kind of cutting edge product and you just want that marginally more luxurious feel because you feel like you deserve it and you work really hard then you know there's no reason not not to not to do it if you can afford it like they are better it's just the the gains are not as you you know the the step up is not as big as it is from entry-level wheel on trainer to kind of uh basic right uh direct drive trainer but there are still gains to be had Mm. And so just to, to kind of summarize the, the kind of free price brackets that we've covered there, um, budget open op- budget options, really good value for money. You know, definitely gonna tick the boxes for most uh, kind of everyday riders. Um decent ride quality, but perhaps, you know, not the most realistic. And and ultimately there is a ceiling when it comes to power. Um and so great for steady state riding and an introduction to immersive uh training apps, but you know, that's perhaps where the ceiling is. Um mid-range options perhaps where you're getting the most bang for your buck, but that could be said for most product categories. Um, we would recommend uh, a lower-end direct drive trainer over a higher-end wheel-on trainer for the improved ride quality, um, often improved power accuracy as well, and, and just a little bit less faff, I suppose, in terms of having to worry about tyre pressure and the roller pressure. Um, and then into the high-end, they are the best products, but you are paying for it, and it's a case of kind of relatively kind of marginal returns on the extra investment but always nice to have totally yeah that's exactly right and, and you know you, you can compare all of these things to like buying a like buying a group set right like the bike that i rode into work today has has shimano sora nine speed 
and like it's absolutely fine <laughs> you know it, it works perfectly well like it gets me to and from where i'm going it works absolutely fine but you know when i get on my giant tcr with shimano 105 it's a step up it's nice to have those two extra gears and that's the kind of like mid-range for me right like when you're asking me what would i do with my money well i you know i bought shimano 105 right i buy shimano 105 because for me that's where the kind of performance to value lines intersect however like you know i know you're a di2 man george so of course know, <laughs> you know so for some people that that value performance lines they, they cross higher up the price scale and that's absolutely fine because ev everyone has different requirements yeah and, and and you know let it be known dear listeners that simon is currently testing or riding the new <laughs> durace di2 group set so let's yeah, not kind of let him trick you into he's a, he's a 105 man through and through he does get treated to the good stuff as There's well no need to feel sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh yeah we digress um so you know we, i think we've covered a lot of ground there in terms of you know what to look for uh if you're buying or, or looking to upgrade a smart trainer but let's briefly talk about smart bikes um because that is a, a a kind of a related but completely different product category and one where you know we've also seen growth in the last couple of years with products like uh, the Wahoo Kicker bike, uh, the Tax Neo bike, um, perhaps not the most imaginative in terms of um, the name in kind of uh, <laughs> conventions here. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, what, stages bike, stages SRM bike, bike Peloton. SRM Peloton. Yeah, Peloton is a is a kind of a bit of a left field option. What bike is perhaps the original smart bike? Um, I suppose what is a smart bike? Why might you choose to buy one over a smart trainer? So a smart bike is a you know the kind of an indoor uh, bike like you would get at a gym. And it has a smart trainer essentially built into it, and so it can connect to Wahoo system, Trainer Road, Zwift, all of the all of these other apps, just like a smart trainer. But obviously, you don't have to mount a bike on the trainer because it is a bike, and so it has a saddle, handlebars, and you know, it can be adjusted to to, to you know to make the fit the same as your outdoor bike, or to be completely different if that's what you want. And so, you know, there's a good argument to be made for smart bikes if you're truly dedicated to your indoor training because it means no wear and tear on your outdoor bike and because of the nature of these smart bikes you know, it, the, you know the instructions for them invariably say they require two people to set up because they typically weigh 75 kilos and arrive on a pallet um you're this is a uh you set it up and you leave it in place so you know that that's negative in a sense that you will need somewhere to set it up and leave it in place forever but if you have that your bike will always be good to go and you won't ever need to faff with keeping your cassette clean, keeping the drivetrain clean, you know, because they use typically a closed system. So you won't ever have to worry about cleaning it. It'll always be good to go. And, you know, like because they are typically very expensive, they'll offer incredibly good ride feel, loads of adjustability and, you know, often kind of extra features as well, but they don't come cheap. No, and I, I kind of say this as someone who hasn't used a smart bike, but if I was a lot richer than I am uh, and I had a lot more space than I do, I can see the benefit as someone who is, as I said in the first podcast, a creature of habit or, or kind of lazy to be more accurate. <laughs> and so having that kind of dedicated setup that you can jump on at any time, it's designed specifically for the job. You don't have to worry about wear and tear in terms of kind of indoor bike versus outdoor bike. The thing that I would want to be sure of is that it does still feel like a bike uh, and most of the, the products that do come from cycling specific brands i think work quite hard to try and offer some adjustability um but if you are interested in a smart bike we also reviewed a few of those last year in, in the depths of lockdown when 
Tom Marvin, one of our technical editors, kindly volunteered to do most of his training indoors. Um, so I think we've got reviews of the Watt Bike Atom, uh, the Kicker Bike from Wahoo, and uh, the, the, we have a tax the Tax Bike. The tax yeah. bike. Uh, and I think we're also in the process of testing uh, the new Stages Bike. So you know, watch out for that one soon. So do read those reviews. Um, I think Tom's back doing what he uh, enjoys doing more, which is riding mountain bikes yeah. and not um, slugging it out on on uh, on a smart bike. Um, so I think we can leave it there. Simon, any kind of final tips or tidbits for our listeners? I think, you know, obviously I would employ you to always read every article I write, dear listeners. But yeah, I think with a smart trainer especially, it is crucial to kind of read the in-depth reviews on bikerider.com because, you know, like with any product category, manufacturers typically make lofty claims, but they don't always stand up to scrutiny. And so when you're spending a lot of money on a product, like you invariably will be if you're kind of getting into smart training or smart trainers and smart bikes, then it is well worth reading the reviews because there are differences and you know, pluses and minuses to to each trainer and each price point. And, and so in order to kind of make an informed purchase, it's best to have all the information you can get your hands on. Yeah, and I think, you know, also considering... Um, you know, there are a lot of features to consider and, you know, making that decision around what you need fundamentally to start and then what's nice to have on top of that. Um, because, you know, some of the things we've covered, like noise, like being able to pack the trainer away, if you need something that's quiet and can be stored, you know, those are, you know, you you need to buy the right trainer for you because you can't change that once you've bought the trainer. Um, whereas, you know, the, if the difference in power is between 1500 watts and 1800 watts, Really, that's not going to make a big difference. So it's it's kind of looking at all the fit, uh, features in in the mix, and and you know hopefully kind of arriving at a product that's that's good for you. And I think you know what I would say as well that you know most of the trainers that we've tested, by and large, are pretty good and do a good job. So there are lots of good smart tra- trainers out there. It's a very competitive market, which I think has driven quality up, um, and it's also a market that's evolved quickly in the last few years. Yeah, totally. I've only tested, I think, one trainer that um, I didn't get on with and I only really didn't get on with it in terms of its power accuracy, which was just so far off as to not be useful. But otherwise, it offered a really good ride feel. So, you know, again, if I'd had, if you had an indoor, if you had a power meter on your bike, you could have gotten around that anyway. So even the worst trainer that I've tested was still perfectly usable. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, Simon, thank you very much for coming on today. Your knowledge and expertise in this area is always, uh, always kind of well-valued and, and hopefully it's been useful for our listeners. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. So we'll leave it there. Um, this is a four-part series. So again, if you haven't listened to the first episode, then please do listen back. Uh, in the next episode, we're hoping to do a coaching Q&A. So perhaps looking at some of the questions that Simon and I have around indoor training, how to get the most out of it from a fitness and, and training perspective. Um, and that should be with you in the next few days if you are listening to this in real time when it's just been released. Um, thank you for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast through your usual podcast provider. Please do leave us a review. It's always uh, it's always really appreciated. We value your feedback. It does help us in, in the podcast rankings as well. Um, or, or leave a comment on BiteRadar.com. We always value your feedback and it's great to hear from you. So we'll leave it there. We will speak to you or hear from you next time. Um, thank you very much for listening thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com bye